Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Wendell Berry tells a story about the painter Harlan Hubbard, who was asked by a church in Kentucky, where Berry and Hubbard are from, to make them a painting of the River Jordan. Now, Hubbard interpreted the commission to be one for a painting of a river sacred to the congregation, and so he produced a beautiful representation of the Ohio River. The church responded with disappointment. Why had Hubbard failed to depict the river mentioned in scripture? Hubbard was equally dismayed. How could these beloved children of God not see revelation in their very own backyard? In a poem about Hubbard's work, Barry writes that the painter claimed to be painting heaven in such scenes. Barry sings of a mortal light upon the floating river in its bends, and these were heavenly because he never saw them clear enough to satisfy his love, his need to see them all again, again. The work of the painter reminds us of something Barry says elsewhere, which is that there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Now, if we were to ask Lanicia or one of the other artists in our midst to make us a painting of holy ground, I would like to think they would come back with something that looks like Houston rather than an image of Sinai or Jerusalem, though I do not doubt that these places are indeed holy grounds. But we have this tendency to elevate particular times and places to say, oh, but in that time, 
Oh, but in that place, God was really engaged with God's people, and my weren't those holy folks. Annie Dillard captures this tendency in her book for the time being when she writes, There were no formerly heroic times, and there was no formerly pure generation. There is no one here but us chickens, and so it has always been, a people busy and powerful, knowledgeable, ambivalent, important, fearful, and self-aware, a people who scheme, promote, deceive, and conquer, who pray for their loved ones and long to flee misery and skip death. It is a weakening and discoloring idea that rustic people knew God personally once upon a time, or even knew selflessness or courage or literature, but that it is too late for us. In fact, the absolute is available to everyone in every age. There never was a more holy age than ours, and never a less. I invite you then to read this familiar passage that we heard from Exodus of this encounter between Moses and the living God with particular curiosity around how God might be speaking to you in the places that are familiar to you as well as the ways God might be waiting for you in some unfamiliar place. The story begins with this beautiful pastoral image of Moses tending sheep. I, I actually like to imagine Moses muttering things under his breath about his father-in-law Jethro and these stubborn animals, but I'll write that short story another day. A fascinating detail comes at the beginning of this Moses story when we are told where he is. The translation that we heard says he took the sheep to the edge of the desert. Other translations say he went beyond the wilderness, and the Hebrew word actually means behind. Moses went behind the wilderness. And there's a sense in which Moses is trying to get away from his familiar environment. I wonder what you might be trying to get away from at this time. Careful. You just might be walking into holy grounds. The living God is waiting for you. I'm thinking about Psalm 139. Where can I go, God, that you're not already there waiting for me? Which for some of us can feel like good news, and for others of us it's like, is there anywhere that I can go, God, that you're not already there? But the story doesn't tell us that Moses is either fleeing or looking for God. He's just hanging out with some sheep, maybe avoiding something or simply seeking the beauty and solitude of wilderness. And it's in this strange place, without any particular motivation or intention, that he notices something wild, a bush that's on fire, and yet the fire is not consuming the bush. I wonder if you've ever seen something or experienced something so vibrant and surprising that your faculties of logic couldn't come up with a satisfying explanation. You had to dwell in the presence of mystery. It's from this mystery that a voice speaks to Moses. God calls Moses by name twice. 
God recognizes us even when we are in strange places. And if we don't respond at first, God will call us again. And then God gives Moses seemingly contradictory instructions. Take off your shoes and don't come any closer. The first is an invitation to intimacy. And we'll get to see in a couple of weeks on Maundy Thursday when we do foot washing how many of us have hang-ups around being barefoot in front of strangers. If you're anything like my son, you'll take your shoes off at the first chance you can get. But you might be like someone else dear to me who, in a house that has a no-shoes policy, asks for permission to keep your boots on. There's something precarious about being barefoot, especially on what I imagine was rocky ground near the burning bush. So God invites us to be vulnerable, to establish a deep connection with place. But before God issues this invitation, he tells Moses not to come any closer. There's a bit of the Wizard of Oz set up, right? Pay no attention to the man behind the burning bush. But really, this instruction from God is born out of concern for Moses' safety. In Moses' society, it was believed that if you had a face-to-face encounter with God, you would die from the overwhelming intensity of the experience. Think about the way that your body responds when you hear an unexpected noise or see something shocking, even in the language that we use when someone startles us. You nearly gave me a heart attack. Now magnify that physiological response to whatever power you imagine an encounter with the living God might bring. So God wants Moses to be safe, and God wants Moses to bring and risk something of himself, to be tender and alert. It is in this tender alertness where God reveals something of God's self to Moses. God tells Moses that God has been moved by the troubles and prayers of those beloved by Moses. And finally, God shares a new name, a new way for Moses and others to be in conversation with God. I am who I am, God says. In other translations, it's, I will be who I will be. When you pray this week, you might try using these names for God. You might think of instructions similar to those Moses received to stay where you are and take off your shoes. As we continue in our Lenten journey of giving up that which doesn't love, liberate, or give life, It is good to be reminded that wherever we stand is holy ground and that God might be waiting for us in a place we have yet to venture. Maybe even someplace we've been told by ourselves and others not to go. As we ponder where and how God might be calling us by name, I invite you to consider these lines from Mary Oliver's poem, Logos, in which she contemplates the I am-ness 
and I will be-ness of Jesus Christ. Imagine him speaking, and don't worry about what is reality, or what is plain, or what is mysterious. If you were there, it is all those things. If you can imagine it, it is all those things. Accept the miracle. Accept, too, each spoken word, spoken with love. You can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.